The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Well, hello everyone, it's Dr. Doug Bursch and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So I have a question for you. Could God use you in reaching your enemy? Could you be used in the reconciliation process of reaching your enemy with the good news of Jesus Christ? On today's show, we're going to talk about our role in reconciliation. Yes, it begins and ends with Jesus, but the scripture shows us that we play a very important role when it comes to reconciliation. Reconciliation, can God use us to reach our enemies? We'll talk about this on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. Please stay tuned and take a listen. Thanks for listening. This is the Fairly Spiritual Show. I am Dr. Doug Birch. I pastor Evergreen Church in the Puget Sound area. I am so glad you're listening. Uh, you're either listening to the Friday edition or the Sunday edition. Maybe you're driving to church right now on Sunday, or you're at home, or you're jogging and listening to the podcast version. By the way, you can hear the podcast as well. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and Blurk. Actually, Blurk isn't a thing, but we're on all kinds of podcast platforms. You can find out that information by going to fairlyspiritual.org. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can find ways to support this show. If in the past you've said, hey, you know, I might want to support this show, but you haven't. Hey, I don't judge you, but I would really like it if you'd support us today. That's how we stay on the air. Last week, someone donated $100, and that's a big deal. That's the economy of this show. If someone donates $100 each week, we've got a really good chance of staying on the air. So uh, please donate today. You can go to fairlyspiritual.org and click on the donate button and donate. Uh, by the way, if you don't want to give $125 is huge as well. I trust that there's four other people also willing to give $25 and we can move forward that way. I'd love it if you'd text me. I throw this number out and some of you think it's for someone else. It's for you. Don't worry, I'm not going to put you on any phone list. I don't keep track of your phone numbers. We're very disorganized when it comes with stuff like that. You're not going to get a bunch of mailings or a bunch of spam. I just want to text you back in this sense and say, if you text me and say something like, hey, I enjoy the show, I'm going to text you back and say, hey, thanks for listening. That's how it goes. So here's the number, 360-818-4513. 360-818-4513. Now, we're not going to have a long-term texting relationship, uh, so you just got to know that, right? But I will respond in this sense. 360-818-4513. Excuse me. 360-818-4513. You text. Say something like, hey, I appreciate today's show. I'll say, hey, I appreciated you listening. That's how it goes. If you don't like to text, maybe your thumbs are too big and you don't think humans were given thumbs to text, well, then you can use your voice and you can leave a message on the voicemail. 360-818-4513. Well, we're still in the middle of summer. Uh, well, I call it the middle of summer. I know some of you are getting ready to go back to school. I say boo. I say boo to any of those stores that have back-to-school supplies set up. It's August. I don't want to think about school. It bothers me. I, I didn't like going to school. I know my kids like going to school. I hated this. Uh, when my kids were young, I tried to get them to skip. They would not skip. They enjoy school. 
they were like, Dad, I can't miss this test. It's very important. I'm like, hey, you know, tests will happen all the time. But hey, you get to go out with your dad. Isn't that more fun? It's like, no, uh, this is more important. School's more important. I didn't feel that way. So I didn't look forward to school when I was a kid. I don't look forward to it now. I love having the kids around. I'm not one of those parents who's like, oh, I can't wait for the kids to go back to school. I love having them around. So we are in August. If you can't go on a big vacation, don't resent all the people out there and their pictures, right? You know, on Facebook and Twitter and their Instagram and they're showing all the places they're going and everyone's smiling and having fun. Here's the first thing. They're not having as much fun as you think, right? They're fighting in between the pictures. Whatever dysfunctions are happening at home are happening on vacation, except for they're paying a lot more for those dysfunctions to be expressed. If you can't afford to go on vacation, don't think big, think small. If you're listening to the show in the Puget Sound region, there are so many places to go. And I assume wherever you're listening, there are so many places you can go for one day, for the day, go on a hike, Google something, find something. There's always a fair, there's always a festival. There's somewhere you can go. It's amazing if you don't mind driving and getting up early, you can get up early, drag the family into the car, let them sleep go to the beach, go to the ocean, drive home late, you can have a great day. Don't buy into that mindset that you have to have a lot of money, a lot of time to have a good time with your family. Pray about it. Pray about it. Just say, you know, we're we're just going to go do something. Uh, Dad's going to take the day off. Mom's going to take the day off. We're just going to go away for one day and have some fun. You might even want to just price line a hotel nearby and just do something fun for the day. Uh, You can go camp at a local park. And it's so great when you camp at a local state park. If you're miserable, you can just pack up and you're two two hours or an hour from your house and you can just go back to your bed and you're fine. Or you can camp out in the backyard if you want. Or you can just, I remember I used to camp out in the kitchen with my dad. We'd take all our pads and we'd camp out in the living room. So there's ways that you can have fun and and it doesn't have to be this big expensive thing. Your kids just want to spend time with you You say, I don't have kids. I don't have a family. Why do you always start that way, Doug? Well, try to find another adventure there. Try to find a friend to go out with or just explore. Do something. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to do a next step. Do something. Sometimes we focus in on what we can't do. There are things we can do in life. There's places we can go. Uh, There's joy we can have in this day that the Lord has made. Okay, enough of that. So This is what I want to talk about today. Reconciliation. Uh, The Apostle Paul mentions in several places that we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. And he points out that we play an important role in the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if I were to come up to you and say, hey, what's your ministry? You wouldn't look at me and go, I don't know. I don't know who you are. Why are you asking me this? You would say, Doug I recognize your voice from the radio, and I know what my ministry is. My ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. We've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. Every single person who is in Christ has been given that ministry. So whether you've been a Christian for a day or for your entire life or for many years, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And this ministry implies this, that you are to communicate, to speak, to live, to act in a way that brings people closer to relationship with God, and that breaks down every dividing wall, uh, dividing wall of hostility between you and that individual. Reconciliation brings us closer to God and closer to each other. 
That's the ministry we're called to. In all our communication, I've talked about this in the past, uh, social media-wise, Christians should be radically different than anyone else, that on social media, we should be known as reconcilers. So if you're a Christian, and you're communicating on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you're using, you should be known as someone who just oozes reconciling behavior. That means whenever you communicate, you're communicating for the purpose of bringing people closer to God and closer to each other. And not generally, but the person you're actually communicating with. That's your goal. If you were to communicate with me, for instance, uh, the number 360-818-4513, the reason you would communicate with me, whether you agreed or disagreed, was that you would genuinely want me to draw closer to God and that you would genuinely want us to be drawn closer together, that you'd want me to experience the love of God and you'd want me to experience your love as well. The goal would not be you just want me to know that you're right and I'm wrong or that God's right and I'm wrong. The goal is reconciliation. It's a powerful thing. And what I, what I think about is, do we really take seriously our role in the reconciliation process? And I, and I think about why did Paul talk so much about reconciliation? Well, one of the reasons he talked so much about it and our role as the church, as Christians, is because he went through that process in a pretty radical way. Paul thought he knew what was right, right? Before Paul became a Christian, he was a good Pharisee. He thought he was following the will of God. He had these questions about God. He knew that God was righteous. He knew that God was holy. He knew that God demanded justice. He knew that all sin was going to be judged. He knew that we had all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He knew this before he became a Christian. He knew that eventually all sin would be judged. And he didn't know how we were going to stand in the presence of a holy God. So Paul just tried to live a really righteous life, just to try to be the best Pharisee to try to live better than everyone else, hoping that maybe God's mercy would be enough for him. Paul also knew that the scripture said that one day Jew and Gentile would both experience the love and the righteousness of God, but he didn't know how that would happen because he knew Gentiles were incredibly corrupt, and he also knew Jews were incredibly corrupt. He knew that all humanity was incredibly corrupt. And again, how were these prophetic words that eventually God would draw Jew and Gentile to him, and God would abide with his people, and he would make his home with us, and that his spirit would dwell in us and with us. How could these things happen when God is holy and righteous and we are not holy and righteous? Paul understood the righteousness of God. He had some really good questions about God. He had some really good concerns about the unrighteousness of humanity, yet he didn't have the right answers. And so Paul just tried to live a life where he tried to be more righteous and more holy. And so that was the trajectory of his life before he met Christ on the Damascus Road. He's, he's persecuting Christians. He's just trying to be the best Pharisee out there to live the most righteous life, clearly believing that Jesus or people who are following Jesus are in the wrong. And, and this is where we pick up Paul's life in chapter 9 of Acts. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this to see how reconciliation plays a role in Paul's life, because Paul realizes he's incredibly wrong, and Jesus confronts Paul. But it's not just Jesus that confronts Paul. It's also the New Testament church. The church plays a role in Paul's reconciliation as much as Christ plays a role. So here's uh, verse nine, or chapter 9 at Acts, verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats 
and you know Saul is Paul, same name. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what to do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So the presence of Jesus confronts Paul, and Paul realizes immediately that he's wrong, that he's been following the wrong way that he has the wrong answers to the questions, that he's made the wrong assumptions about God's righteousness, and that he's on the wrong side of righteousness. Now, Jesus confronts Paul and shows Paul that he's going the wrong way, but Jesus doesn't completely reconcile Paul to the church. He puts Paul in this limbo place where he blinds Paul, and he says, wait, just go and wait, and then I'll tell you what to do. And we need to think about how Paul felt at that time, because Paul didn't understand the grace of God. Paul realized that he was wrong, and I bet you that Paul thought, well, I'm a dead man. Uh, Jesus didn't kill me now, but I'm supposed to wait. He just blinded me. So that's not a good thing, right? You're not necessarily thinking grace and love and restoration when you confront the presence of Christ, and the first thing that happens is you're blinded. I assume Paul's thinking I'm supposed to wait, and maybe these Christians are going to come and find me, and they're going to stone me like I stoned Stephen. They're going to persecute me like I persecuted them. Or maybe he thinks he's just going to wait and die and be punished later. Paul does not understand that the righteousness of God is the grace of Jesus Christ. And so he's called just to wait. He has to wait for the rest of reconciliation to occur. And this is going to occur through the church. So let's look at verse 10 here. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named, uh, for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Ananias doesn't go, Sure thing, Lord, I'll do what you say. No, Ananias says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias is like, this is a bad idea. This guy is in a murderous rage. He's persecuting the church. He's the reason there's all these Christians here now in Damascus, because they've fled his persecution. I don't think you're calling me to go to the right person. You're calling me to go to the enemy's camp. But the Lord said to him, said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Now, I don't think that really meant much to Ananias, because still Ananias is seeing an enemy. And so God says something else. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And I think Ananias uh, was attracted to that. Well, at least he's got to suffer. 
At least this guy who's made all of us suffer is going to have to suffer, so maybe I'll go tell him that. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, see, when is he filled with the Holy Spirit? When the church lays his hands on him. Not, he's not filled with the Spirit when he's confronted with the presence of Jesus. When he's confronted with the presence of Jesus, he's blinded. He's just shown that he's wrong. He basically is just dying to his old way of life, but he doesn't have this new way of life until Ananias comes and lays his hands on him, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. And then it says Saul began to, to preach Christ. Now, th there's more to that, but I just want to get at this, this issue here and right into our role in the reconciliation process. Look at what Ananias had to do. And, and I want to just ask you, would you do this? Honestly, would you do this? First, Ananias is in a role where he is praying. He's praying and he's open to hear the voice of the Lord. One, just are you praying and open to be moved by God? Have you put yourself in a position daily where God could speak to you, where God could lead you, where God could move you? You know, some of us are so caught in our own worlds, in our own prayer requests, in our own problems, in our own deconstructing of what's going on in our life that we're not open to the movement of God. You and I grow when we partner in the plans of God. Jesus says, come and follow me, not come and deal with all your stuff and work with all that, and then maybe you'll be able to figure your life out. No, we begin to understand who we are as we participate in the advancement of God's kingdom. As we work with Jesus, the kingdom works in us. Are you open to hear the voice of the Lord? Are you open to be led by God? Are you praying prayers? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you participating with God in such a way that he could even speak to you to show you signs and visions and wonders that are not about your life, but about who you're supposed to reach, who you're supposed to teach, who you're supposed to go to, and are you open for the kinds of requests from God that might send you to your enemy? Would you even be willing to listen for something like that? Are we so busy fighting our enemies that we would never even listen to a word that said, I want you to go over and love your enemy, to welcome your enemy into your camp? So first, Ananias is praying. He's open to hearing God's voice. Second, He's called to go to his enemy's house. And it's interesting because he's called to go to the house of Judas. This is another Judas who doesn't have the best name in Scripture. But we got to know that the house of Judas is probably not a very good house because this Judas has invited Paul to come to Damascus for the purpose of doing what? The purpose of finding Christ followers and bringing them back to Jerusalem to persecute them. So not only is Paul a threat, but I got to think that the house of Judas is a threat as well. So Ananias has to go to the enemy's camp. He has to abide in places that aren't good places. He has to go to a place that he doesn't want to go to. This isn't his comfort zone. He has to hang out with people who aren't like him. He has to go to a place where he's not welcomed. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to go to places where we're not welcomed? Are we willing to go to Judas's house so that we can reach Saul or Paul? 
And it's important to realize that we're still you know, Christ-like in those environments. You know, sometimes I see people that we isolate in our own Christian communities and our, our own Christian music and our own Christian songs and our own Christian radio and our own Christian TV and our own Christian literature and our own Christian communities. That's not what we're called to. We're not supposed to be isolated. But then some people abandon that, and then they hang out in these non-Christian environments, but they act just like non-Christians. You can't tell the difference, right? They're just partying like everyone else, swearing like everyone else, drinking like everyone else, behaving like everyone else. That, that's not what we're called to do either. Christ hung out with sinners, but you could till, still tell that he was Christ. Well, here Ananias is called to go to the enemy's camp, but to be life and light in that environment. Are you willing to do that? Next, he's called to pray for a murderer, to pray for Paul. To come to him and say, oh, I had a vision. I hope you had this vision as well. He's, he's called to risk rejection. He's called to risk persecution. He's called to come and extend grace and mercy and acceptance to Paul. Are you willing to do that? To bring grace and acceptance and mercy to your enemy. And he did all this so that Paul could see and so that Paul could be reconciled to God. Ananias' task is our task. In the beginning, we see that when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, immediately it broke relationship between uh, humans. You know, Cain kills Abel. But when our relationship is restored with God, then it's supposed to immediately translate to where we begin to reconcile ourselves one to another. Cain doesn't kill Abel. Cain loves Abel. In fact, 1 John 3.14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. And, and John in that passage basically points to Cain and Abel and says, we, we, we're not like Cain and Abel anymore. Cain doesn't hate Abel. Cain loves Abel. We become reconcilers. We see our enemies and we treat them with the love of God. God has entrusted to each and every one of us the ministry of reconciliation. But are we willing to play our part? See, we see in this story that, that Jesus had blinded Paul and that Paul realized, I'm not right. I've done it wrong. He was defenseless. He hadn't eaten. He hadn't drank. He's probably just waiting to die. He's probably just thinking life's over. And it took the church, it took Ananias to come to him and say, no, your life is just beginning and he laid his hands on him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, he saw what spiritualized, and he was welcomed into the body of Christ. The full reconciliation of God's grace, not only welcomed in relationship to God, the Father, and the Spirit, and the Son, but fully welcomed into the church as well that he had persecuted. This is my question for you. Can God use you to reconcile your enemies? Is your heart open? Is your heart open? I see this all the time. I see people fighting with enemies online and fighting with enemies politically, and I realize our hearts are not open. What if God has called us to be the love that changes the heart of our enemies? The scripture is pretty clear on this. Jesus tells us to love our enemies to do good to them, to lend to them, and don't expect to be repaid. We were enemies of God. While we were enemies of God, he loved us. And now Christ Jesus abides in us, and that's our assignment as well. 
And we see clearly here that Jesus entrusted aspects of reconciliation to us. Paul was not just confronted by Jesus and blinded and his eyes were restored and filled with the Holy Spirit and everything was okay. No, Jesus confronted him, but then said, wait, I'm going to let the church come to you and welcome you into the family. Is there someone you're supposed to welcome into the family? Are you willing to go to people that have rejected you? Are you willing to abide in environments that might be hurtful? Are you willing to open your heart to the reconciling presence of Jesus? That's hard, isn't it? But I'd like you to pray. It starts with a prayer. For Ananias, it starts with prayer and welcoming the voice of God and saying, okay, Lord, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. If you want me to go to that house, if you want me to go to that meeting, if you want me to go to that place, and if you want me to pray for that person and to welcome them into the family of God, I'll do it. Let's all welcome the reconciliation of God, okay? Sounds good? All right. Hey, thanks for listening to today's show. You can text me at 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. You can donate to keep this show on the radio. Go to fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. And please pick up my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor at Amazon, The Community of God. Thank you for listening. God loves you and knows you by name. Make room for him. He's good and he loves you dearly. I will see you next week. Proceeding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.